If you were to travel directly upwards, once you had gone about 50 miles, you'd start to enter a place that humanity is just now starting to understand. It's a place where the sky and space merge, and the power of the sun's radiation begins to break down the gases that our sky is comprised of, and things start to behave, well, kind of unpredictably. It's a place called the ionosphere. Okay, just for some context, the ionosphere can stretch up to 400 miles above the ground, deep into what many people think of as, quote, outer space. Okay, for some more context, if you've seen that video that Red Bull produced a few years ago of a daredevil skydiving from space, that was a jump from just 24 miles up. That's from the stratosphere, less than halfway to the beginning of the ionosphere. Okay, so when our sky begins to sort of melt into space, particles behave in really strange ways as they begin to break down because of the sun's radiation. This is partly responsible for the phenomenon known as the aurora borealis, or the northern lights. If you travel far enough north to a place like, say, Alaska, the nighttime sky will be filled with dancing green lights as electrons bounce off of each other high above the Earth. Okay, so why are we talking about the ionosphere? Well, during the Cold War, at the same time that Cindy Gottlieb was running the secretive MK Ultra mind control program for the CIA, the US military was thinking about how to solve another national security problem. Around the time that Gottlieb was operating his experiments at secretive CIA black sites, nuclear-armed submarines crawled the floors of our oceans. The subs were armed with some of the most destructive weapons that mankind has ever engineered. This was, after all, the Cold War. The only problem was, it was very difficult to communicate with the subs without being detected. That's when scientists came up with an interesting idea. If they had a large enough device, it could, in theory, shoot targeted radio waves that could heat up the ionosphere and turn it into a massive antenna, so large, in fact, that it would be capable of creating frequencies so low that they could reach specific spots on the bottom of the ocean, allowing military leaders to effectively and discreetly communicate with submarines. Though it would take several more decades and hundreds of millions of dollars, the military eventually built this ionosphere heating megastructure that currently covers more than 30 acres of extremely remote Alaskan countryside. It's here, at the High Frequency Active Rural Research Program, where conspiracy theorists believe that the U.S. government protected the most dangerous weapon in the history of humanity, one that could control people's minds. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm a writer, a journalist, and a podcaster. This is Hiding Something, Season 2, Ultra. Chapter 5, Strange Innovations. The High Frequency Active Rural Research Program is better known for its acronym HARP. That's HARP with two A's if you're doing some Googling. And though the idea of building a structure capable of manipulating the ionosphere to create extremely low frequency waves for security purposes dates back to the Cold War, the actual HARP wouldn't be constructed until the 90s, thanks to the efforts of a late Alaskan senator named Ted Stevens. However, the project was immediately controversial. Partly because Stevens couldn't actually articulate what HARP was or why he was spending hundreds of millions of dollars on constructing it. That is, according to his own quotes featured in a peer-reviewed journal Nature article about the facility. The facility is comprised of a series of massive antennas arranged in a really organized pattern. Initially, the tool was conceived of as a way of contacting Cold War-era subs. But look, technology has really evolved since the 1960s. 
Why would Ted Stevens want to invest in a project in 1992 whose initially stated purpose was to fight a war that ended years before? At the time, he told reporters that the technology would be used to somehow tap into the Aurora Borealis, capture its energy, and bring it, quote, down to Earth so it can be used, end quote. Now, Stevens was either intentionally misleading the public or was just extremely misinformed because despite justifying the purchase by saying it would be used for energy purposes, the facility doesn't capture or store energy. And even though the lawmaker in charge of the project made bold claims about its ability to pull power from the sky, the facility's current official website makes no mention of that purpose. It calls HARPA, quote, a high-power transmitter facility that can be used to temporarily excite a limited area of the ionosphere for scientific study, end quote. So the facility claims that its intention is research. Ted Stevens said it would be used for energy purposes, but it was conceived of as a way of communicating with submarines from the 1950s. Considering the mixed narrative, it's no wonder that since the 90s, some people have come up with their own theories about HARP. HARP started... Uh, really with a very short um, segment, a little article actually in a magazine called Nexus, an Australian journal. Uh, I read the article and it was about a project taking place here in Alaska called HARP, the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Project. And at that time, it was being operated by the uh, U.S. Navy and Air Force uh, in developing uh, what they called a developmental prototype um, for weapons applications of a very, very large uh, radio frequency array or field of antennas located here in Alaska. That's the voice of Dr. Nick Begich from a YouTube video uploaded in 2011 to a channel called Message TV that primarily seems to produce short films related to Islam. In the video's description, they claim that HARP is a tool that will be used by Dijel, essentially a figure comparable to the Antichrist in Christian theology. However, it's unclear when it was first recorded or what the actual origins of the original video are. Anyway, here's a clip. And so, you know, what happened when I read that article is I, you know, I looked at it and I thought, you know, Alaska is a, a big place geographically, but when you think about it uh, politically, it's very small. We have a small population. You tend to hear about what's going on, and virtually nothing had been reported in our local media regarding this project. Dr. Begich is perhaps the most well-known critic of HARP, having penned a popular book called Angels Don't Play This HARP, Advances in Tesla Technology. In the video, he explains that he first became interested in HARP when he read about it in an Alaskan newspaper in the early 90s. That alone was a fact that he found odd. Dr. Begich says he started asking around about HARP, but he claimed that almost no one in local politics knew much about the project. And after investigating HARP in ELF waves, Begich became concerned. He had read the works of the famed and controversial scientist Nikola Tesla, who spent much of his life trying to understand the power of electronics and frequencies. Tesla once wrote this, if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Begich's theories about HARP can get complicated, but he essentially suggests that Tesla's belief in the power of electronically manipulated frequencies could be used to control people's minds with ELF waves. Begich suggests that this could be achieved by, quote, electronically stroking the ionosphere. You may remember from back in episode one that ELF waves being used to control people's minds was a concern shared by Serge Manast. But let's get down to the most controversial issue uh, dealing with HARP, which is the physical effects on human health. And I want to get into the ELF effects because this is extremely important. And there's another video in this series on mind control, which gets into this idea of being able to be overridden by radio frequency energy from the outside. And this is what, what we know from the research. If you go back to the mid 
1980s, there was a document called Low Intensity Conflict in Modern Technology. It was produced at Maxwell Air Force Base, and it has a section in it on electromagnetic weapon systems, where it gets into a whole discussion of what was possible. If you even go back further, you got to go back to a book called Unless Peace Comes, published in 1969. And within that is a chapter called How to Wreck Your Environment. And the, the reason this is an important chapter, that's before Earth Day, you know, that was later in the 70s, so you could get away with a chapter like that. But nonetheless, the guy that wrote it was a guy named G.F. Gordon MacDonald, and he was a full professor at UCLA and a science advisor to President Johnson when he was in the presidency. And he had written back then that if we could ever figure out how to electronically stroke the ionosphere in just the right way, we could return a signal to the Earth that would literally uh, manipulate the behavior of people over huge geographic areas. Essentially, Begich suggests that if engineers could figure out some of the principles of physics as they relate to human organs, including the human brain, they could use the ionosphere to generate targeted frequencies that would allow them to experiment with behavior and even thoughts themselves. This is what the military research has shown, is that you can affect everything down to a molecular level if you understand enough about the physics of the body and the math of radio frequency energy's relationship to it. You can manipulate radio frequency energy to affect the body. To demonstrate his point, Begich shows a series of three images on screen. Two depict a very large bull charging a matador, who appears to be antagonizing the bull by waving a red cape. The third image shows the matador dropping the cape as the bull locks his own legs, stopping himself just inches in front of the matador. The images were captured during an experiment by a man named Jose Delgado, who sought to understand how actual thoughts could be manipulated by electronic frequencies. Delgado had planted a chip inside the bull's mind and claimed to be able to control him remotely. Delgado's a compelling figure. He invented a small implantable chip called the Stimosiever, it's an implantable device that by design was meant to control the human mind. By the 1960s, Delgado was openly experimenting with his creation that to this day remains extremely controversial. Delgado seemed to prove that with his device, along with radio waves tuned to the right frequency, he can manipulate not only human thought, but human emotion and human behavior. And in this case, he used an, an implant that affected um, the bull in a way that caused it to, to stop. Now what he found by the mid-80s is he didn't need any implanted technology whatsoever. All he needed was radio frequency energy modulated and pulsed in just the right way uh, to carry a signal. For a minute, let's talk about Dr. Jose Delgado, the man at the center of this controversial research. Though Begich remains an extremely controversial figure, Dr. Delgado, whose research he bases some of his claims on, is well known in the scientific community. He was educated at Yale, and for a brief time in the 1960s, the Spanish-born researcher was a minor international celebrity. There was a time when his sensational research captured the world's attention. Now, Delgado died in 2011, and when obituaries started flooding in, journalists from around the world gained a new interest in his odd field of research. The interest was so great that it prompted the venerated science outlet Scientific American to repost a feature it had written years before on Dr. Delgado titled, Tribute to Jose Delgado, legendary and slightly scary pioneer of mind control. If you're wondering about the credibility of Scientific American, just know that Albert Einstein himself was once one of its contributors. I'll have an actor read from that 2011 Scientific American piece. In 1965, the New York Times reported on its front page that he had stopped a charging bull in its tracks by sending a radio signal to a device implanted in its brain. 
He also implanted radio-equipped electrode rays, which he called steam-o-sievers, in dogs, cats, monkeys, chimpanzees, gibbons, and humans. With the push of a button, he could evoke smiles, snarls, bliss, terror, hunger, garrulousness, lust, and other responses. A cover story in the New York Times Magazine had just hailed him as the impassioned prophet of a new psycho-civilized society whose members would influence and alter their own mental functions. Even at the time, Delgado's findings were controversial and created ethical quandaries that were so divisive that some of his research remains ostracized to this day. Here's another reading from that Scientific American piece that found new viral life in 2011, not long after Delgado died. A Yale colleague called him a technological wizard. In his early experiments, wires ran from the implanted electrodes through the skull and skin to bulky electronic devices that recorded data and delivered electrical pulses. This setup restricted subjects' movements and left them prone to infections. Delgado thus designed radio-equipped steam-oceivers as small as quarters, which could be fully implanted in subjects. A battery pack strapped to the head or worn around the neck supplied the power transdermally. Delgado also invented implantable chemotrodes that could release precise amounts of drugs directly into the brain. The piece continues, however, by noting that, quote, Delgado's rhetoric had an alarmingly apocalyptic tone. And it said that his ambitions were to use neurotechnology to help us create a, quote, less cruel, happier, and better man. His work also, perhaps unsurprisingly, attracted the attention of the military. Here's more from that 2011 article. The sponsorship of his experiments by the Office of Naval Research and the Air Force Aeromedical Research Laboratory, as well as several civilian agencies, raised eyebrows as well. Critics speculated that the military wanted to create cyborg soldiers that could kill on command, like the brainwashed assassin in the Manchurian Candidate. Delgado says his military sponsors never expressed interest in such applications. At the time, the technology was very crude. The only thing we could do was to increase or decrease aggressive behavior, but not to direct aggressive behavior to any specific target. Maybe they expected that. I don't know. There's a famous quote from a Delgado patient who said, I guess, doctor, that your electricity is stronger than my will. That's after Delgado was able to create involuntary bodily movements simply by pressing a button. Essentially, Delgado sought to prove that the brain, as well as actual actions and moods, could be manipulated and controlled by the right technology. But perhaps because of his own callous attitudes towards the ethics of such experiments, his lifelong research has largely been forgotten. That attitude was a posture he expressed in extremely frank terms in his book, Physical Control. He wrote this, Can you avoid knowledge? You cannot. Can you avoid technology? You cannot. Things are going to go ahead in spite of ethics, in spite of your personal beliefs, in spite of everything. End quote. Back in Alaska, Begich was convinced that the same technology that Delgado had demonstratively proved was being used to experiment on the unsuspecting public. At the same time that the harp mind control conspiracy theories were beginning to take hold, more harp conspiracy theories began to emerge, including theories that harp was being used to control the weather. There are implications that harp could perform the same sort of scientific wizardry in the ionosphere that made those cloud cities appear in China. The harp conspiracies got so prominent that Jesse Ventura, the former professional wrestler turned politician and provocateur, used the facility as the subject of an episode of his controversial cable series, Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. Astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson even addressed and calmly shot down harp conspiracy theories regarding weather control on his podcast. 
Interestingly, though, Tyson didn't refute the theory about weather control on the basis of its scientific merits, but instead said the conspiracies wouldn't be possible because of something as simple as government incompetence. There are people who are sure that the government is is uh, is stockpiling aliens and controlling right. everything about anything we would ever think about, and they clearly have never worked for the government because right. the level of incompetence of the government and inefficiency yeah. knows no bounds. Yeah. That, that but for starters, it's true that you could manipulate the weather like they did during the Olympics in China. Like it's not that you can't manipulate the weather. It's that whether you would really have any serious control. Yeah, a lot of the weather, uh, well, weather happens in many places. Mm -hmm. So it's it, it comes about from the heat balance, from the energy coming from the mm -hmm. sun, what it reflects off of, what it gets absorbed by, what the upcurrents do, what the downdrafts do, what the rotation of the earth is doing, all of this factors in. And so I have not been convinced by any of the reports to suggest that experiments in the upper atmosphere uh, physics experiments yeah. are having any effect on our weather whatsoever. Right, and but uh, a, and, and it would be and it would be tragic if we wanted to say, oh, that's why it's getting hotter in right, the right. world. Okay, because there's some experiment happening. It would that would be tragic because we would be missing the 900 pound gorilla in the room. Tyson makes a fair point here. It's one that I don't want to undermine. Look, it'd be very easy to write off the logical consequences of human behavior to some sort of science experiment gone wrong. It'd be extremely convenient for a criminal to be able to blame their actions on government-sponsored behavior manipulation, just like it'd be really easy to blame carbon emission-fueled climate change on a science experiment in Alaska instead of taking ownership of the actual cause. But what if several things are once again true at the same time? What if humanity has already figured out ways to manipulate thoughts, emotions, and actions but powerful forces have decided to hide their abilities because they cross so many ethical lines or they just want to protect their own power. And what if there are logical and extremely sobering causes for climate change that have nothing to do with HARP or any other defense program? But just because HARP isn't to blame for climate change doesn't necessarily mean that its use isn't worth investigating. But when investigating, it's important to have a full spectrum view of the facts, not just the ones that support your own ideas. Like the fact that Begich concedes that he's made a lot of money from the sales of his book about the Harp conspiracy, or the fact that weird conspiracy theories surrounding similar military installations are commonplace. Take the case of the Montauk Project. Back in 1992, two men named Preston Nichols and Peter Moon published a book called The Montauk Projects, Experiments in Time, in which they tell a truly wild story. Look, it's really kind of a long convoluted, but I'm going to try to condense it here. They claimed that while making visits to the decommissioned Montauk Air Force Base, they discovered equipment that led them to believe that it was once home to some strange experiments. Montauk is a beach near Long Island. At the center of the base is something called a semi-automatic ground environment radar tower. It was built during the Cold War, and now it looks like a weathered shell of a massive satellite dish. The duo claimed that by accessing repressed memories, they were able to recount their participation in experiments at the now-abandoned facility. They claim that people could be placed underneath the radar tower, and after connecting to it, could manifest creatures and realities with their own minds. They also claim that the military was abducting locals, including children, and using them in their experiments involving psychic powers and monsters from other dimensions. If all that sounds familiar, there's a good reason. 99 out of 100 times, kid goes missing. The kid is with a parent or a relative. What about the other time? What? You said 99 out of 100. What about the other time? The one! 
The conspiracy surrounding Montauk actually served as the inspiration for the sci-fi show Stranger Things on Netflix. In fact, the original series title was Montauk, and the filmmakers intended to set the show in Montauk, New York, before deciding to move the story to the fictional town of Hawkins, Indiana. And even Nichols and Moon can see that they played kind of fast and loose with the facts. And though the book isn't technically fiction, its publisher's website contains descriptions like this. The Montauk Project attempted to study why and how human beings, when exposed to high-power electromagnetic waves, suffered mental disorientation, public dissolution, or even death. A former ramification of this phenomenon is that such electromagnetic waves re-scramble components of the material universe itself. According to reports, this research not only included successful attempts to manipulate matter and energy, but also time itself. And look, although it's certainly plausible that secretive experiments took place in Montauk, Nickel and Moon's claims aren't really taken seriously. Today, the area has been converted into Camp Hero State Park, and you can go poke around there for yourself. I mean, literally, you can just walk around there. Like Montauk, Harp seems mysterious, but it can be easy to conflate reality with science fiction when you're only selectively investigating the facts. And when it comes to Harp, there are a few very important things to note here. First, the burden of proof lies on the accuser. The facility is mysterious, but that doesn't mean it's actually sinister. Though from 1990 all the way through 2014, the HARP program was controlled by several military branches and later a controversial institution known as DARPA, the military did have plans to retire and demolish the facility. It wasn't until the University of Alaska Fairbanks offered to take it over that its future was sealed. Today, the university operates the facility without any input from the military, and there's no reason to assume they're attempting anything sinister. They've even opened up to public tours. A few years ago, a filmmaking team from Vice Media traveled to the facility, which is now open to the public, to talk to the university employees who work there now. They described what it was like to show up to work, only to listen to voicemail after voicemail left by conspiracy theorists literally threatening their physical safety. It's a sobering watch. And look, even if you believe that the government used HARP for some unethical experiments at some point, it's been under the control of a university for nearly a decade. Its current employees have nothing to do with its origins, much less any conspiracy theories it spawned since. And though investigating obscure government projects that cost hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars is fair game, there are limits. Separating fact from conspiracy theory requires us to be objective and rational. It's not irrational to investigate if there are technologies that can manipulate human thoughts, emotion, and behaviors. It's not irrational to investigate whether or not powerful people or institutions have attempted to understand how to manipulate this technology, especially for defense purposes. But it is irrational to threaten people's safety, especially people who had nothing to do with any of the suspicions or conspiracy theories. Rational examination of facts, events, and technologies should be encouraged, but so should rational limits to suspicions. Sure, gigantic mind control antennas are theoretically dangerous, but misguided conspiracy theories are literally dangerous. Back in 2016, two men were arrested after police determined that they were planning an attack on the facility because they believed that, quote, God told them to go and blow up this machine that kept souls so the souls could be released, end quote. The duo were not only charged with drug crimes, they possessed both meth and weed, but also a massive arsenal of weapons that they planned to use in an attempt to take over Harp. Some people believe that mind control technology is secretly dictating our behaviors, when in reality, it might not be technology that's controlling us. It might be our own fears surrounding it that hold the real power. And this is also something intelligence agencies and the military are well aware of. In fact, they've been known to use fears about mind control to actually control their enemies' thoughts. That's next time 
on Hiding Something. Hiding Something is a production of the Ironclad Content Network. All episodes are written by me, Jesse Carey. Our editor and post-production producer is Chandler Strang. And hey, listen, if you like the show, be sure to leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcast. It really does help more people discover the show. All right, thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.